0: Sentire Media
1: Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 76, Saint Francis of Assisi A history of Italy is a chronological history of the Italian peninsula from the fall of the Western Roman Empire in 476 to the current day. Now regular listeners may be wondering why on earth I am saying this because I have been babbling on at you for about 75 episodes. Well I thought that the topic of St. Francis of Assisi would be considered perhaps more universal and attract people that are not only interested in the history of Italy. So, if you're coming to the podcast for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you've been listening for ages and ages, I apologise for the further babbling. Let's get straight to it. Despite the night storm, the 1st of June 2003 was the first of a series of very hot days that would go down in the statistical history as one of the hottest summers in many decades in Italy. I stood in front of the church of Regina Pacis, Our Lady of Peace, all suited up. My hair, as usual, was impossible to command. I had only just arrived and was greeting friends and relations. We had time because the bride-to-be wasn't due for around ten minutes and everyone knows that a bride should always be late. She wasn't. I saw the car arrive and rushed up to the altar to wait for her. The priest was also caught off guard. Soon enough, she and her father appeared, framed by the sunshine streaming in through the doors of the church. Her father, a wonderful man, wore the bittersweet smile of someone giving up part of his soul. She wore a smile that lit up the church and made the sun pale in comparison. As they started up the aisle, the music started. The song played at our wedding was an adaptation of one that in 2003 was on its way to eight centuries of age. It is known with various names, Brother Sun, Sister Moon, the Canticle of the Sun, Dolce Sentire, meaning how sweet it is to feel, and Cantico delle Creature, the Canticle of the Creatures. The writer of the original version was a young man who from the depths of a spiritual crisis, rid himself of all his worldly possessions and became one of the most famous figures in the church and world history and founded an order which is still alive today. That man was, of course, St. Francis of Assisi. The man who has had so much influence over the Christian faith was never a priest nor a monk of an existing order He did not seem to show a calling for the cloth early on and he wasn't even called Francis to start with. He was born around 1181 or 1182 in Assisi as Giovanni di Bernardone. It seemed that his father Pietro di Bernardone called him Francesco due to his love for France, where he had had much success as a cloth merchant. Another possible interpretation is that the nickname came to little Giovanni when his love for tales of knights and chivalry was made clear, as those stories made their way over the Alps thanks to the French troubadours, the travelling musician-storytellers who also influenced the minstrels in Italy. These troubadours would have a great influence on Francesco, who would not only bring his contribution to human heritage thanks to his religious movement, and life example, but also in literature, creating some of the very earliest examples of Italian literature. His father, Pietro, as we mentioned, was a successful cloth merchant, and Francesco had a very comfortable life, and was somewhat spoiled. Very early on, he showed his great generosity, using his family wealth to entertain his friends, and revealing his happy, outgoing character. With a figure like Francis, there is always an attempt to look for signs of what he would be one day in what he was. So, some sources have him going from a juvenile delinquent to a saint, but with some moments of goodness on the way. One of the stories about him, for example, is that once while he was minding his father's shop, a beggar came in while Francesca was serving customers, and he rudely sent the beggar away but then, feeling guilty, he ran after him and gave him all the money he had just earned. As young Francis grew into adulthood, trouble was brewing on the horizon. The new merchant class, of which his father was a part, felt they deserved more of a say in the politics and society, which was till that point in the hands of the nobles, the boni ominis. So, when Emperor Henry VI died, leaving his reign in the hands of his infant son Frederick, the ominous populi, the merchants and artisans, attacked the imperial fortress in Assisi, as well as the houses of many nobles, who had to flee to nearby Perugia. It was not long before the cities of Assisi and Perugia, as Italian communes had a habit of doing, were at war. Francis. Full of enthusiasm for the life of a knight, his head full of the Arthurian legends of the French troubadours, signed up enthusiastically for war. Assisi was defeated by Perugia in the Battle of Collestrada, and Francesco was taken prisoner. He languished in a jail in Perugia for a year. It was not a happy time for him, obviously, but some sources say that he still stayed upbeat and helped to keep the morale of his comrades high. It seems he was also the only one not to shun one of their number who had been accused of betraying Assisi. You see, in the fights between the communes, the losing commune never actually lost because they were inferior, but there was always some betrayal, and whether one existed or not, a traitor was often found. Francesco was released after one year, with his health deteriorated. It is not clear if he already suffered from ill health before his imprisonment. His dreams of knighthood were rather dulled by the experience, but had not disappeared altogether. That is why in 1204 he set off south, some sources say to participate in a crusade, others to seek knighthood. He was encouraged by a dream he had, in which a beautiful woman in a castle full of weapons told him that those would be the weapons that he and his knights would use. However, on his way south, he had yet another dream in which God himself told him to return to Assisi and that his fight would not be with real physical weapons. So began the conversion of Francesco di Bernardone into Francesco d'Assisi. Another important step in the conversion was the vision that he had when he stopped off to pray in a little run-down church, that of San Damiano. Here, as he prayed, a voice spoke to him. Some sources say it came from the crucifix itself. The voice asked Francesco to help rebuild the house of the Lord. Now, Francesco would eventually understand this to mean all of the church as an organization, but in the short run, he took it to mean the physical rebuilding of the church of San Damiano. To do this, he needed some cash. So he took a bunch of his father's fabrics, loaded them up on his horse, and set off to sell them. He did so, and ended up also selling the horse. After that, instead of heading home, he hung around for about a month in the wilderness. By now, the year was 1206. When he came back, he was in quite a state, starved, dirty, and with his clothes in tatters. People who saw him took him for a raving lunatic. His father beat him and decided to lock him up in his family home. Thanks to the intervention of his mother, however, he soon escaped and went back to the church of San Damiano. At this point, his father Pietro took things up a notch and actually reported his son to the local authorities. Francesco had already started to distance himself from all things worldly and refused to recognise said authorities, and so the matter went to the bishop of Assisi. The bishop seems to have had an immediate soft spot for this eccentric young man, but decided in favour of his father. It is at this point that we have the famous and symbolic moment in which Francesco rid himself of his worldly possessions. He gave back the stolen money, stripped himself naked, and declared that from now on he had no earthly father, and only God would be his true father. This whole getting naked thing would be quite recurring in the life of the saint. It was a symbol of his renouncing all that was of the material world. Either that, or he often felt hot, or just generally enjoyed being naked. Some people do. The Bishop of Assisi embraced him, possibly avoiding any embarrassing contact points, and gave Francesco his cloak. Now, Francesco had disowned his father, but they still lived in the same town. So, as the young man progressed in his path to sainthood, the merchant father would curse him when they cross paths. This got to the point in which Francesco had a beggar follow him around and make the sign of the cross every time his father cursed him. In 1207 he started physical work on the church of San Damiano, as well as San Pietro delle Spine, Saint Peter of the Thorns, and the church that would become his favourite, the Porziuncola, which today is inside Santa Maria degli Angeli. St. Mary of the Angels. In this period, Francis also started his travels. Indeed, the Franciscan movement would also be characterized by the idea of travel and movement to spread their message, not to be holed up on a distant mountaintop away from the world, as part of the world seen in its entirety as a creation of God. Once, in the city of Gubbio, he was particularly struck by a passage from the Gospel of Matthew. Do not get any gold, or silver, or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey, or extra shirt, or sandals, or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Francis, who by now had only the tunic on his back tied with a leather belt, sandals, and a walking stick, took this message to mean he had too much. So, he got rid of the walking stick, the sandals and the leather belt and changed his tunic with a poorer, rougher one and tied it with a rope. I'm sure he also enjoyed the naked bits in the between as well. The passage also gives us an indication of what would be the Franciscan work ethic. Indeed, the order would not be allowed to work to make money, but to earn the sustenance and hospitality they received. Any extra was to be given to the poor, or the poorer than them. So Francis continued to travel, work, and preach his message, and in time, he started to gain followers. Now, a movement without followers is not a movement, it's just some guy. So, we must never underestimate the importance of the first followers. In our case, they were... Bernardo da Quinta Valle and Pietro Cattane, two well-to-do lawyers from Assisi. The three set up in the Porziuncola, and there they were joined by a third follower, an artisan by the name of Egidio. Now that the group was on a roll, they needed a bit of organization. Every good marketing professional knows that a successful enterprise needs a mission, a vision, values and so on they went to the church of San Nicola to consult the gospel opening it at random three times in a row and this is what came out apparently Mark 10.21 go and give all you have to the poor Luke 9, three, do not take anything with you Matthew 16.24 Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. Now, those were some pretty clear company directives, but they needed a bit more to go on, so they set out some rules for themselves. First of all, they weren't going to be about the whole punishing yourself and mortalizing your fresh business. No inflicting upon yourself, but doing and spreading good, via your example then there was the whole poverty business the brothers were to have no material possessions and we talked before about the work ethic they were not to receive money as donations something which sort of annoyed the rich people who felt that they could clear their consciences by giving some money to the order or to the poor the dedication to poverty was to be total like a marriage indeed Although Francis would humanize many natural aspects, such as brother-son and sister-moon, and even concepts such as sister-death, poverty would always be donna poverta, lady poverty, not a sister. The poverty of the Franciscans was a willing poverty, a virtue, not a failure to make in the world, perhaps out of lack of skills or laziness. Another of the rules that the brothers set out for themselves was that of chastity. They were to devote themselves only to God, and not to worldly physical love. Apparently, this wasn't all that easy for Francis, who was a passionate man, and would try to avoid even looking at women. It seems he only knew two in his life on a personal basis, and they were Chiara of Assisi, who would go on to found the Clarisse, another religious order, and a Roman noblewoman called Jacopà dei Sette Soli, who became a follower of Francesco. It is where sex was concerned that Francis would whip himself to calm his boiling spirits or roll around naked in the snow. There we go with the nudity again. In short, the message of the movement was that people should live a life of simplicity following the teachings of the gospel such as love thy neighbor as you love yourself and this simplicity led francesco to distrust somewhat in learning study and books and although he could actually read and write quite well he would declare himself illiterate however he did have great respect for wisdom scholars and teachers so the relationship here between simplicity and study remained a bit on the ambiguous side for the movement The first few brothers went forth and preached their truth, and although they started to obtain more and more followers, they were also met with ridicule and criticism. Francesco's eccentricity didn't help much with this. With his love for chatting to any person, thing or animal, and his habit of sometimes bursting into song. Among the various nicknames Francis of Assisi was known by, one was the Jester of God. Now that they had their act together, they needed to take their movement to a new level. It was time to go and get permission from the big man himself. It was time to head off to see the Pope. So, in 1209, they had a chat with the Bishop of Assisi. He was all like, yeah, don't worry lads, I know a guy. And he did know a guy. Said guy was Giovanni di San Paolo the Bishop of Sabina, near Rome. They ran the whole idea of their movement by him, and he quite liked it, except for the poverty part, which worried him a little. He saw it as being rather inconvenient for the Church, who was very far from being the model of virtue when it came to wealth. The Pope had more or less the same idea. He was all for the movement, and the teaching of the Gospel and he was really big on the obedience idea, which they espoused. However, he also was not too big on the poverty business. He asked Francis if perhaps he wanted to sleep on it, and see if God told him anything else. Francis did, and he had a dream. A woman lived in the desert, and one day she was visited by a rich man from a nearby city. One thing led to another, and they had children. I didn't quite get if they were like, octuplets or something, and all came out at once, or the rich man came back, or just spent quite a lot of time in the desert. Anyway, the children grew up, and like their mother, lived in poverty. Their mother told them to go into the city, and when they did, they were recognised by their father, who took care of them. So the message was, you'll be taken care of. Indeed, that is what the brothers believed, that Providence would take care of them. And so, that is why, They only asked for what they could eat on the same day. Francesco came back to the Pope with a message and the Pope in the end accepted it. This is also because the Pope himself had had a dream about the walls of the Lateran Church being held up by a poor friar and he saw salvation in Francesco. This contrast would remain between the movement's dedication to poverty and the total lack of poverty as the established church. After all, the Pope was a guy who had his own country. Francis's movement was named the Ordo Fratem Minorem, the Order of the Lesser Friars, also known as the Little Poor Men, as Francesco was known as the Little Poor Man of Assisi, il poverello di Assisi. The following decade or more, between 1211 and 1222, could be considered the peak of the movement bringing the number of followers up to around 5,000, which is really good, considering there was no Facebook events or meetups. The power must have been in the message, the simple, straightforward message. Francis was a good orator, and could simplify content. If you combine this with his serenity, sweetness and sobriety, then you could start to understand some of the love and devotion that he inspired. He could speak just as easily to a few friends as to crowds of thousands. His sermons were known to actually bring peace to warring cities. His message was not limited to people either. The peace that Francis wanted to bring was to extend to all living creatures, animals, plants, the moon, the sun, the stars, and so on. As we mentioned before, the sun was not just the sun, but brother sun. The moon was sister moon. Francis was also known to take worms and caterpillars off the road so they wouldn't get squashed. When the brothers were cutting trees, Francis would not allow them to cut them all the way down so that the tree would not die. Even death itself was not just death, but sister death. Francesco even tried to petition Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II to ban the killing of larks and to promote the feeding of birds in the winter without much success. These ideas consolidated over time and the movement grew and grew. Things didn't stay local, though. As we said, the idea was to move around and move around they did. They met mixed reactions. Some welcomed them, some insulted and abused them and, in some cases, such as in northern Africa, they were even put to death. Francis himself tagged along on a crusade in 1219 and made it all the way to the Holy Land. His idea? Just to walk up to the Sultan Malek al kamil the leader of a good part of the known Muslim world, and talk to him about his faith and ideas. The Sultan was quite a surprising man, as was his future friend and contemporary, Emperor Frederick II, and he actually talked to Francis, listened to him, and even had him talking to his own scholars. Nothing really practical came out of the meeting, but some over-enthusiastic Christian scholars came to the conclusion that Francesco had secretly managed to convert the Sultan to Christianity. We said that the decade, or thereabouts up to around 1220, was the peak of the Franciscan movement. But all good things come to an end, and from 1223 on, we have the moment in which doubt crept into the mind of Francesco d'Assisi. Although, before we go there, it's worth mentioning an interesting cultural aspect that started up in that same year, the nativity scene. Francis set up this scene in the small town of Greccio, which he said reminded him of Bethlehem. This was a message in itself as well. Anywhere could be Bethlehem. Being Francesco, he had to have animals in it as well as all the people possible from all walks of life, and so he had shepherds and nobles and churchmen and the ox and donkey and all sorts of other creatures. The nativity scene in Italian presepe is to this day quite an important part of the traditional Italian Christmas. Along with the tree imported from Anglo-Saxon cultures, you set up a little nativity scene with figurines. The holy family, although you don't put the baby Jesus in his crib until actual Christmas day. Then you can extend things with a donkey and an ox and all sorts of village people and other humans and animals and geese and sloths and fruit bats and... No, I'm just joking, really. However, our nativity scene did once feature a dinosaur for a while, although we may have gotten this idea from Mr Bean. Some also go wild with running water, sand and moss thrown into the deal. Anyway, the setup of the presepe has grown into an art form, and whole towns will sometimes get involved in the action, and some exhibitions of presepes attract quite a bit of tourism. However, as we mentioned, the year 1223 was the start of what you could call Francesco's period of crisis, his great temptation to give everything up. First of all, his health, which had never been great, started to really deteriorate. But most of all for Francis, the problem were the divisions that were beginning to show in his growing movement and the lack of respect for the original rule of the order. For example, two separate groups of brothers, one based in Bologna and one in his own Assisi, had built for themselves nice, comfortable houses to live in. Francis was not one to recriminate and scold, believing that his own example should be enough. However, in this case, he ordered the friars to leave the house in Bologna, and actually tried to physically demolish the house in Assisi Francesco was also not one to give up and soon he would receive perhaps his most powerful message in 1224 the brothers headed off for a sort of field trip and spiritual retreat to Mount Averna which had actually been given to them by a local noble it's not every day you'll get a mountain as a present By this time, Francis probably had to be carried part of the way. His illness was becoming more and more consistent. The fact that he was always plagued with fever leads some today to think that he was probably suffering from malaria. Also, ever since his trip to the east, his eyesight had been suffering, and he was by now almost blind. It is on Mount Averna that Francis of Assisi had a vision of a beautiful six-winged angel who as he approached appeared to the saint to be crucified francis fell into a sort of trance and it is on this occasion that we have according to official church history the first man to receive the stigmata the wounds like that of the crucified christ there were actually some witnesses before and after the event which lead those who don't believe in miracles to theorize that the wounds may have been self-inflicted. This was a great consolation for Francis, who took it to mean that he was going in the right direction. In 1225 and 1226, he composed the song which we started out with, The Canticle of Brother-Son, which reflected many of his thoughts and beliefs, starting with the fact that nature had made it into the canticle. The interesting and also quite important fact was that the writings of Francesco d'Assisi were in local Umbrian dialect, not in Latin. Yet another sign that Italian was becoming a thing and we'll be talking about that a bit in a few more episodes. Another interesting factor was not only the choice of language but also the choice of vocabulary. In his writings in general, for example, we can see the ideas about power in his choice of words. A superior was not a superior or ruler, but a custodian or guardian, a very different concept. Legend would have it that it was a revised version of the canticle that helped to bring peace once between the bishop and the civil authorities of Francesco's Assisi, a rift which had deeply troubled the now dying brother. As he felt death coming closer, Francis wished to say goodbye to his friends and brothers. He wrote to Jacopa, the Roman noblewoman who he called Brother Jacopa, with a little nod to earthly pleasure when he asked her to bring him his favorite almond biscuits. As his time grew closer, he asked to be stripped naked and set upon the naked earth. He was then dressed in another's robes and put on a more comfortable bed but then he once again insisted on being put naked upon the ground. On the 3rd of October, 1226, a Saturday, Francis of Assisi died singing and happily welcoming sister death at the age of around 45. He was buried on what had been known as the Colle dell'Inferno, the Hill of Hell, which after this became the colle del paradiso the hill of heaven and where the basilica of saint francis stands today he was made a saint just two years later by gregory the ninth probably with a great sigh of relief for this man who did not judge or chastise but with the example of the life he led shook the very foundations of the church which was now free to tone down the whole poverty business a little To this day, St. Francis of Assisi is a figure admired by believers and non-believers alike, perhaps as good men and women should be. He is, along with St. Catherine, the patron saint of Italy. The young man who had dreamed of knights and winning glory in battle had obtained glory instead as a soldier of peace. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. If you would like to, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com At the same URL, you can click through to our social media. We are on Twitter and on Facebook. And on the support page, if you're feeling generous, you can support us via PayPal or become a Patreon donor, as many others have already done. You also have on Patreon access to extra content. Thanks once again to everyone for listening, and until next time, Arrivederci. Holiness, Francis of Assisi is here.
0: Francis? Who's that?
1: Uh, I don't know, sir, but uh, he would like permission to found a new religious order. Is uh, he one of those people waiting for the arrival of the giant
0: turnip or something?
1: No. No, they're still waiting for the arrival of the turnip.
0: Well, what does this one
1: want? Well, perhaps we should hear him out.
0: Alright.
1: Your Holiness.
0: Welcome, my son. So tell me, what are your plans?
1: Well, we want to found a new order that goes out into the world and brings the word of the gospel. And we want to teach them to see God's goodness in all living things. Ah, yes, lovely. Wait,
0: turnips too? Uh, uh,
1: well, yes, I I suppose turnips too.
0: Ah, well, what else?
1: Well, we want to live in obedience to the Holy Church.
0: Well, really? That's great. This all sounds lovely.
1: Oh, and uh, we must give up all our worldly possessions, and live in poverty.
0: <coughs> well, all the other stuff is really great. Do we really need the poverty things?
1: Oh yes, Your Holiness, it's essential. Only the lowest of us can rise high in the kingdom of heaven i mean
0: wouldn't you like to sleep on it as god if he is really sure.
1: Oh, your holiness, I have. He spoke to me in a dream in which a man met a woman in the desert and had many sons from her. And <coughs> then they grew up and were poor. So she sent them to go to the city and their father recognised them and took care of them. So we must not worry because our father, who art in heaven, will always...
0: Oh, I oh, I! Stop it. I get it. You go ahead and start your order. Then you'll see about the poverty thing.
1: Oh, thank you, Your Holiness. God bless you. Uh, Let me show you how we do not even need the clothes on our backs. No, no. Keep your clothes
0: on. That's all right.
1: Yes, Your Holy Father. Sorry, I, I got carried away there. May God bring you peace.
0: I think the turnip people will be less troubled than this one. Sentire Media Hey podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy.